Welcome back everybody. Hello. Hi. This is Lydia and Finn. As per usual. And today we are joined by a special guest, Lily. Hi Lily. Hi guys, how are you? <laughs> Lily is a health psychologist and a trainee psychotherapist and she works primarily as a perinatal doula, so birth and postpartum, and she specializes in the area of perinatal mental health. So we're here to talk today a little bit about mental health in pregnancy and the postpartum time. And I guess we felt that this was really important because in this series that we've been doing about pregnancy and birth and beyond and all those times, whilst it's lovely to talk about all the fluffy things like birth, uh, about like baby massage and pregnancy yoga and all those nice things we felt that it's really important to also have those tough conversations the ones that maybe are more uncomfortable to have and maybe that aren't really highlighted enough in general media because they're not aspirational one would say but what my experience certainly of working within the field of pregnancy and birth is that it's really common, not just postnatally, but also during pregnancy for people to have mental health issues. Isn't that the case? It absolutely is the case. Um, and, you know, sometimes people would have different mental health issues before pregnancy. And then that would be a risk factor for developing other things or for it to keep going during pregnancy and then in the postpartum period. But it is also um, very normal to have issues arriving during pregnancy. Um, there's all the hormonal changes. There's also everything changing around you in your body and in your sort of environment and you're getting ready for welcoming a new life into your life and you know sometimes it's not something that you planned for it mightn't be something that you feel like you're at the right place in your life for um, and it's just a lot of adjustment and do you think are most women caught by surprise with the level of uh, struggle that they have um, oftentimes that is the case um, and then it seems to be the issue that it's hard to find the people you can talk to and you can turn to um, just because of what you said as well that it is sort of painted with these like paint brushes that are all pink and and all the sparkles and everything and you're pregnant and you're waiting for this bundle of joy and sometimes you're pregnant and then you have all sorts of issues um, and sometimes the morning sickness doesn't go away and sometimes you feel like you can't connect to your baby and you're just not quite happy about baby and there is all the guilt coming already um, and that just goes on and on and on and it's really difficult to sort of name these things when your expectations um, aren't realistic and you're just facing all this pink world and everyone is assuming that you're having an amazing time and you mightn't. I think um, something that came up for me when I was pregnant, I have a son who's six, um, was that and, and this is talked about a little bit, but I feel like it's not really highlighted enough, is that as a woman through our general life, unless you're kind of living under a rock, we are exposed continually to body image issues that are coming up. We're being told it's better if you're thinner, it's better if you're fitter, it's better if you're staying healthy with your diet, all these things. And so we're constantly struggling with body issues. And then suddenly we get pregnant and it's this time where you, no matter what happens, you're gonna go bigger. Like you, you can't stop that. And I wanted a baby. I've worked in birth and pregnancy. I didn't have particularly bad physical self-image issues, but still 
it is surprising that when you your body starts getting bigger and you know there's no way that it's going to stop getting bigger it is only going to get bigger and you have no control over it whatsoever it's not like you can suddenly start dieting or eating more healthy or exercising and you're supposed to be loving it and taking loads of photographs of your bump and how great you're feeling you do suddenly feel like god I, i'm not prepared for the feelings that come with this and the overwhelm and a lot of that is in the early days when people might not even know you're pregnant and I really certainly felt that even being someone who was really open, I didn't know who I could talk to about it because I felt like it was a ridiculous thing to think. Like it's, it felt stupid in my head. I was like, I shouldn't be worrying about this. And yet it was really alarming to feel, oh my God, I'm going to get bigger. And how is my partner going to relate to me? And what is my body going to look like afterwards? And I think that's an issue that that must come up for lots of women. It does. And you're naming something very important about having no control over what is happening to your body. Um, so during pregnancy, it is you sort of have to get into the mindset of letting go and just allowing things to happen. And that is very difficult for a lot of people, especially for women who were maybe focusing on their careers and they were used to meeting deadlines, being productive, getting feedback, knowing what they're doing, being in control all the time. And then there comes pregnancy where your body is doing its own thing. There is a little baby growing in you. Um, and then you're looking at birth that's coming closer and closer. You can't do anything about it and you can plan for it, but it still won't go the way you want it probably. So um, it, is, it is a really difficult time in that sense. And that sort of lack of control that people might be feeling can relate to their bodies and they're getting bigger and bigger. And you know, the way sort of um, your, your brain is thinking of your body and sort of where your end and your perception of your own body. And as you're growing, your brain doesn't quite know how to keep up. So that's when sort of like sort of around the middle of the pregnancy, you would start noticing that you're bumping into things all the time. Um, and it's not just your baby bump, it's just your shoulders and your, your whole body everywhere. You're just like funny in space and sort of your, um, your balance is a bit off. And it's just everything is just so weird around your body and your brain is trying hard to catch up, but it's really difficult. And especially if you had any issues around your body um, before, that can be really triggering. And how do you work with that? Like when you have those sorts of body issues, what, what's your approach to coaching or supporting women to, to try to adapt their mindset around that? Um, I think it's really important to get comfortable with our own bodies and, and a lot of people sort of live in their heads and try to think about um, solutions and think about things that are happening and not feel those things. So um, any sort of um, methods or techniques that are related to the body are really good. So even just anything, say, say yoga, um, where you would learn how your body is working, you would learn breathing, you would slow down and you would get comfortable with, with what's happening. So any sort of um, anything that makes you drop into your body instead of staying up here um, is really good. So it can be any kind of relaxation, meditation. And if you don't want to go that far, you can always just sort of start with a body scan maybe um or just stopping sitting down putting your feet on the ground and seeing how am i feeling in my body and it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to be like oh I'm, I'm i'm feeling a little bit tight around here um what do i do about it you don't have to do anything about it it's just like stopping seeing what is happening for you and just accepting it okay i'm feeling this way I take a few deep breaths and i see where i am and i can keep going it doesn't have to be you know a big like special kind of meditation you know it just sort of 
teaching the brain to keep checking in with the body and staying with the feeling instead of thinking, thinking, thinking and solving, solving, solving. Yeah. I think that um, in pregnancy class, and now it's different, of course, because everything's done by Zoom and it's less, I find that Zoom is a less open forum for communication than in the classroom setting. What people really attach to is the bit at the beginning where we are sitting in a circle anyway in the class, but each woman got a chance to say their name and say, and maybe I would bring a different topic each time. So it could be, have you chosen a name for your baby? Or it could be, how are you feeling? And they would have an opportunity to say how they were feeling. And sometimes I felt like it didn't really matter what yoga we did, other than the fact that they had a forum to go, I'm actually just having a really shit day and I feel shit about myself and I'm tired all the time and I didn't think it was going to be like this and I just feel gross. And then to hear the other moms go, oh God, I really feel that too. And just to know, okay, so it's not the, it's not always. And for some people, of course, they have the easiest pregnancy in the world and it is all beautiful and roses and flowers. But for lots of people, it isn't that. And especially like you're saying, if they are working really hard and working in a male energy environment, it's very hard to shift from being in work in that goal-oriented, focused, achievement-based energy to suddenly coming to yoga class and being all like, my body just feels really this way. You know, it's hard to make that switch. And I think it's interesting that you brought up that thing about the mind has trouble catching up with the body changing in space. Because certainly what I notice as a teacher is in pregnancy yoga, I as a teacher have to do all the poses all the time. Because if I stop, like if I even scratch my head in the middle, all of them they will start scratching their head. <laughs> because they need to follow so much, they find it hard to listen and then integrate that into their body because there's so much going on. And often, I'm always saying this, and Finn's heard me say it a million times, I'll say, if everyone can have your feet, both, fa both feet facing forwards. And they'll be like, yeah. And I'm looking at all these feet in different directions. Mm. And I'll go, so if everyone can just look down at their feet and just place their feet facing forwards and everyone's like yeah minus facing forwards and then I'll <laughs> even go and so and like highlight someone's feet if you just look and make sure your feet look like a number 11 and they'll still be like yeah and it's always amazing <laughs> as a teacher to go they really don't know no. that their feet aren't that way and that's just me talking about the alignment in yoga but like that is how our like our body's going through such a phenomenal change it's not surprising that we would then struggle with mental health issues because we're in essentially we're inhabiting an entirely different new body mm, like yeah. and we've had years to get used to the other one <laughs> now yeah. suddenly we're and supposed it, to be cool <laughs> with this new one that isn't even staying the same for any length yeah it changes at incremental rates usually but this is like this whoop all of a sudden yeah yeah I, i'm this real shock isn't it i mean you think about how people have difficulty with putting on weight in life in general and that is a creeping thing yeah like the yeah the shock of that actually i've never really thought about it like that that's a, that's a kind of a powerful thing do you like when you're working with people who have those types of issues, like what do you encourage them to relate to? Because I mean, you, you're not, you can't change the world, right? The world is still the world. Instagram is still Instagram. Right. The male work environment is still the male work environment. How do, how do you make them walk in the world in a different way? Like that's an almost impossible thing, like to put a bubble around their, their kind of mentality and their approach to the world, because it's constantly bombarding them with this no, no, for, for, forget what Lily said, because <laughs> actually this is what's happening. Like, how do you do that? Um, I think it is really important to sort of, when you're working with someone, to strengthen their, their sense of competency and um, to sort of make them feel confident in themselves. Because 
that's sort of where where everything gets out of control when you're start when you start doubting yourself and then you look at external sources um for reassurance or for information or for sort of expectations that you sort of you put expectations on yourself based on what you see around yourself. Um, so then um, it is the hard part is that everyone has an opinion when you're pregnant and everyone wants to tell you what to do and everyone knows better and everyone has a terrible story that they need to share with you. <laughs> so a lot of the times you just need to sort of be like, okay, so this is my bubble and this is my space and I want to protect it. So sometimes you might actually just need to say, I don't need to hear that story. I'm, I'm okay, you know, or just don't, don't press play <laughs> on that video that you know you're going to upset you. Um, and also to to find those people that you can turn to and you can talk to and it can be a best friend it can be a partner it can be anyone in in the whatsapp group most moms now um have their whatsapp group of other moms in their area and a lot of the times public health nurses help um people connect that way uh, which i think is amazing um and so you don't even need to know those people you just need to know which issues um fit or match with what kind of people and then have have a go-to person as well i was listening to renee brown podcast um, on the way in today and she was talking about leadership but it was kind of really for me it was i was listening to it from the point of view of getting advice as being a parent um, and she was saying how one of the really important things is that when you're trying to lead people that are under you and you want to create an environment where the best possible outcome is going to happen from your team you need to make sure that people aren't walking around with armor on them because when people have armor on them, that shit is really heavy <laughs> and they're never going to be vulnerable and open and in touch with themselves and open to making mistakes and trying new things and failure. And I think it's a bit like that, isn't it? That because there's this expectation on pregnancy that people should just be so overjoyed to be so lucky that they got pregnant in the first place and that they should just be loving the idea of being a mother that you kind of when you're pregnant you almost put on that armor to try and protect yourself and what you're saying is actually we need to make a softness around ourselves and an openness instead of an armor to go like okay head down shoulders up let's just get through this on my own in fact we need to go okay I'm going to connect in I'm going to feel open in the heart and I'm going to check what I'm feeling and then be vulnerable enough to say I need help here or I need support here, or where can I look? And I think that for me, that the hardest thing is how do we how do we teach that softness when what we are taught to do our whole lives is just buck up, get on with it, mm -hmm. and just soldier forwards. Yeah, and you say know, I'm great regardless. I'm great, I'm fine, mm -hmm. you know. And yeah. it, uh, my experience of when I was pregnancy was okay, but post postpartum was that when people would say, "How are you doing?" and I'd go, "Not great. <laughs> I'm not having a good time." People very good, very good that you were able to do that. Yeah, I was good that I was able to, but I, I definitely didn't get a she didn't response. didn't make any friends, <laughs> let's just say. <laughs> Everyone was just like, okay. Like, you just watch and be like, what? Are they getting smaller or further away? Oh no, everybody's back to <laughs> But that was the experience. People didn't want to hear it. They didn't go, oh God, that's so terrible. Like, what can I do to help? They were like, la 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 la, I don't want to hear it. Mm. And so, like, how can we change that as a society, as friends? If we, if someone's listening to this and they have a friend who's pregnant, 
who is open about struggling? Like, how can we respond to them in a way that's helpful? Are there support groups? Is there an answer that we can give? Is there something that we can do? Hmm. Um, there's there's loads of questions. So as a friend, I think that's sort of that's sort of where we can make the most difference because everyone is friends to other people. So so if you can just make little changes um, and provide that environment for certain people around you, then you're making a big difference. And if everyone does that, then it sort of spreads. Um, support groups are great. Um, it's just that now it is really difficult with COVID to access them. And then some people have the anxiety around Zoom and videos and the technology part of it, or they can't make time for it. So the in-person version is, is really, really helpful. And any kind of any other version would be great as well. Um, but now we, we mightn't be able to rely on them as much. Um, but just as people who, um, who are in touch with, with friends and relatives and, and even just people online around us, we can ask those open-ended questions um, and just listen. We don't have to know the answers. We don't have to be reassuring necessarily um we can just be like so how are you doing and then they answer something and then you can just say tell me more about that or wow and if you say oh that must be difficult it mightn't be difficult maybe they went through something and that's your assumption oh that must be really difficult and they're very upsetting and they're like oh I wasn't upset <laughs> until now, you know? So um, so it's just all the open-ended question and the listening and just being like, okay, I hear you. Okay, just just keep telling me. I'll, I'll just sit here and I don't, I won't walk away, you know? You don't have to have any special skills, just sit with it. And it might be difficult and you might want to solve it and you might want to give advice, but that's usually not what's needed at the time. Okay, uh, okay I'm, I'm right here and God. Wow. Okay. You know, um, what about, so, sorry, what about if, I mean, sometimes things go to a kind of a darker place, right? Yeah. And, and people maybe like you were saying, maybe they're carrying some mental health issues into pregnancy to begin with, or maybe just pregnancy for them is just so confronting that they really don't see the way out and the, and the world starts to close in in a way that, 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 it, that can be really, can be really dangerous. And, you know, for people who are looking in from outside those, those pregnancies, like friends or family members, like what's when is it appropriate for them to look for more support and where should they look for more support for those for those people who are like in, in, a, in, a, in a, a hard a deeper struggle let's say mm -hmm. um so a lot of the times they would be told to talk to their gp um and that that might be a good idea depending on your gp um big time depending on the gp yeah <laughs> tricky yeah uh, a lot of the times, um, especially postpartum, um, GPs would be very inclined to just prescribe some medication and be like, okay, you just take this twice a day and you'll be sorted. Um, and while medication might be answer to some questions, it's, it's not answer to all questions. Um, a lot of the times when there is an issue, it's good to sort of flag it um, to maybe the midwife um, or the, whoever you trust in your healthcare provider team, you know. Um, so there are mental health teams in the maternity hospitals and they're great and they will, they will accommodate requests and they will provide opportunity to talk to someone who knows what you're going through. Um, and if 
further interventions are needed, then they can sort of get you in touch with those people who can then help you later. So that is definitely um, very good. And then there are um, psychologists in um, private practice. There are counselors in private practice that you can turn to if you can afford that, um, who sort of specialize in these areas. And, um, and then a lot of the times um, it is sort of building your support system and your network as well. So your partner, it's really important that your partner knows what you're going, what you're going through because tackling the whole thing by yourself is really difficult and it can be really alienating and isolating. Um, so just having your partner on board and being like, maybe even just having someone to explain it to them or have a good resource for them and be like this is the situation this is what i'm going through um this is how you can support me and this is how we're going to get through this you know to sort of have a plan in place and have your support network and, and as, as a doula are you that resource like can um, you explain a, what like what your role is like when you're dealing with mental health as a doula like how far do you take that conversation um, it's interesting because as a doula and psychologist, I can't be both of them. So when I'm a doula, I'm just a doula. I can't do intervention. I won't diagnose you. Um, it is out of my scope. So if I am your doula, then I am. my job is to provide you with resources and then to be that listening, accepting um, environment for you where you can sort of just like put it out there. And sometimes maybe that's all you need. And sometimes if, if that's not enough, then I can help you provide with providing resources. So then you can be like, okay, so I have a few numbers here um, and I know who to reach out to if the pressure becomes bigger or if I start to feel more unwell or if this isn't quite helping me. Um, and then as a psychologist, it would be a whole different scenario because um, a lot of people sort of find um, comfort in knowing that I'm going to see this person once a week on Tuesday morning, it is my time. Um, doesn't matter what I say, it will be okay. And I will have some tools or I will have a better understanding afterwards. Or maybe I can just let it all out and just name all my fears and my concerns and all the dark thoughts that are coming to me um, or all the weird bodily sensations or anything that is happening to you. You can just go there and you can just put it all out there and then you can walk away. Um, and you know that in a week's time, you can do that again. So there's sometimes great relief in just knowing that someone's going to be there and it's the same sort of a postpartum doula support um even if i just come in once a week or twice a week i just see that sometimes there is that sort of tension and then i arrive and it's just like oh and it's literally just having someone there um and everything is slowing down everything is held and that sort of holding environment is really important and do you find that women who have a tougher pregnancy from a mental health point of view tend to have a tougher time afterwards as well? Or are those two things very separate in terms of the pre and post? Um, it doesn't necessarily carry on postpartum, but it, it, very, it depends a lot on what kind of support um, the mother was getting during those times. So if you're struggling and your experience is that there's no one there to help you, um, then it is unlikely that after birth, when the pressure is, is higher and there's more to do and there's a little baby uh, who's very vulnerable and relies on you that that it, it will get easier you know so i think if someone feels supported in during pregnancy then chances are that 
that things can get better after birth. And you know, the hormones are very different as well. So your brain is dealing with different sorts of inputs and different, the system is different then. So if it was sort of like a, a hormonal um, issue, then it, it can just literally stop after birth. I think it's important to just, just say here on the podcast that there is a thing, I mean, everyone knows now that postnatal depression is a thing and people are kind of taught look out for it and here are the signs and here's when it's serious and here's when it's less serious but I feel like no one ever actually says prenatal depression is a thing you never really hear people like validating it as a thing that's bigger than just oh she's a bit sad or she's a bit tired or something Mm -hmm. but there is just to say here for people listening that there is a hormonal version of prenatal depression that comes on when you get pregnant and can leave when you give birth and that is just a medical thing it's nothing to do with your own you could be someone who's never had any mental health issues ever before and may never again but it's brought on by the change in those hormones right exactly it is the same with um prenatal depression and then everyone knows about postpartum depression right it's like there's been lots of really good work done to spread the word and now everyone is aware of it and baby blues and postpartum depression and all that um and then and then someone might be uh, or experiencing postpartum anxiety or postpartum psychosis and it's just like what is that or birth trauma or post or ptsd and then people are just like okay okay i know about postpartum depression i've got that and then the rest is just like well my symptoms don't really fit into the postpartum depression thing but something isn't right and it can be the same with um prenatal um depression as well when when you are struggling and things just don't quite work and and you're just not feeling right and it's really difficult then to to reach out for help sorry do we do we see sorry do you see that more on first uh, when when women are getting pregnant for the first time is it does it tend to be the case that because they're more used to it you know okay they're familiar with some of the things that are happening to their body that on the second or third time of getting pregnant that that you have less incidence of pre and post natal depression or is that it does it does that follow any sort of curve um, no, it's not. It's not really related because um, during your first pregnancy, you're usually much more aware of what is happening because it's all new and and you're really like, oh, all these changes are happening and all this preparation and you don't quite know what to expect. So you're you're a bit more in tune with what is happening. While when you have a kid running around you, you might just be like, okay, let's just get things done and um, and and we'll go about our business. So it's it's much harder. And then you we also hopefully have. A feeling that okay, my body has done this before. I know how this how this works, um, but then it because of that, it might be easier to miss things because you're you're kept busy, um, or it might be easier to spot things because maybe first time around it wasn't that way. So you can sort of go both ways. Yeah, and I think can we talk a little bit into you mentioned their postpartum PTSD. Mm-hmm. and birth trauma um and i think that's a really important topic because what so obviously i'm really interested in home birth and natural birthing and that's the world that i'm in and and i had a home birth and that's what that's what i chose and one of the reasons that i chose that was because i felt like the birth was really important and not just for my baby but for me and i knew that if i had a really positive empowering birth that would help me going Mm -hmm. forward Um, and I really believe that but I think that there's a general belief out there still of 
so long as the baby's healthy, the most important thing is that your baby's healthy. And you hear that all the time, that women have these deeply traumatic births where they've had every type of intervention that could possibly have happened, an emergency C-section, and then they nearly died and all sorts of terrible things. And then people go, but isn't it lucky that your baby's fine? And ultimately the team saved you. So isn't that yeah. great? And it comes, and from like, huh? it comes from a good place, but it doesn't help. Mm. No, and it also kind of... Um, devalues their experience because Absolutely. it's that same thing that we all know as soon as you give birth to the baby you've gone your whole pregnancy with everyone are you okay can I get you a drink sit down on the bus bloody blah, blah caring about you and then the moment the baby's born you don't get asked a single question about how you are it's just, all the shifts onto baby totally mm. and I think when people say oh isn't it a, it's just so lucky that the baby was okay and so everything's great it again devalues the mother's experience and stops them from being able to go, well, actually that isn't the most important thing in this situation because yes, I have a healthy baby, but I am now myself not healthy, either mentally or physically. And how can I go on to parent this child? And if I've got other children, other children too. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a real thing. And I think that only now are people starting to go, birth trauma is a valid trauma that needs to be dealt with. Exactly. Um, I wrote my dissertation this year about birth trauma and how it affects people postnatally um, and what sort of interventions are available and whether they are um, effective because a lot of the times in Ireland anyway you hear that oh if you have birth trauma um, it's EMDR or um, CBT and that's just you should, what you should go for but there's loads of other things and there's evidence around other interventions as well um, it's just sort of not out there and people don't quite know about it but um, the title of my dissertation was at least you have a healthy baby <laughs> uh, because that is just what people say and it the, this single sentence that just dismisses the whole experience um it's very it's very easy to to say that and be like oh focus on the good things um while it's it's really not about that and if you don't work with what happened and if you don't give it space and time then it will sort of just stay there uh compressed and it can just be triggered anytime and then you can just have this overwhelming reactivation of trauma um, again and again and again until you find a time and a place to work with it and process it so when we dismiss that experience um, and it might be something that doesn't seem violent or doesn't seem traumatic at all um, it might literally just be no consent and being out of control and being touched and being um, dealt with in a way that wasn't respectful um, and we don't have to understand why things were traumatic for someone else we just have to respect it um, and if there is space for it it's great but the way you were talking about um, vulnerability and having that armor I don't think the goal is to like push everyone towards vulnerability because that armor is really, really useful. It is there for a reason. If we were vulnerable at all times, we would get hurt all the time and we wouldn't have enough capacity to deal with everyday things and to keep ourselves safe. So it is more about the balance. And yes, a lot of people um, have those armors that can't be moved and they're nearly just like stuck there. Um, 
while the healthy version would sort of be finding a balance maybe maybe at a workplace sometimes it, it is good to have a really strong armor and being like okay this is what it is this is what i want this is what i can do and sort of stand up for yourself and being able to say no and and all that you know just having that that strong self the sense of self um while at other situation it's it's really important to be able to vulnerable and be like I am struggling with this or I'm not very good at this or I need help and it would be really um, dysfunctional to bring that into certain situations where you have to just be like go and get this done so it's finding the balance between being vulnerable and protecting yourself and choosing and picking the right situations and the right people um, where you can allow yourself to do that instead of yeah. aiming to be this like really open and vulnerable and flexible um, version of yourself where, where your defenses might be down and then you can get hit really hard. Yeah, that's a really astute observation, isn't it? It's like, it's really difficult to connect your emotions and assert strong boundaries. Like, you know, in the, if it, with practice, it becomes a, a tool, but, but it's not something that you can suddenly start to learn when you're pregnant, I suppose. It's like, well, you can, but it's it's about. But what space? I mean, it? I guess yeah. it's like it's the difference between like a warrior mindset and the armor that you've put on, and those mm. two things are subtly different. They might seem like they're in the same wheelhouse, mm. but I guess it's like when you have a strong armor up, it's like a shield, and. But it's an inside I, to outside shield as well as outside in. It's a two way. Yeah, problem, it's a two. It? It's a yeah. two way problem, and yeah. I think you know, is there the question is is there a different way? Is there a third way, which is like staying within your power and being able to advocate for yourself and being strong while staying connected to yourself and staying open and i guess uh, brene brown was talking about the difference between power against and power with and i think it's like that isn't it it's like harnessing the power to move together rather than being the stopping force that's the barrier between those two things but like you said that's not some skill that you're just going to learn suddenly overnight when you're pregnant. It's like the whole culture of that has to change. And I feel like the culture in the hospital system is very much an against power system because mm -hmm. it's like we're, we're the all-knowing doctors and mm -hmm. medics. And don't get me wrong, they save lives and they are experienced. But a woman has, at this specific time in her life when she's pregnant and giving birth, this access to knowledge that's there all the time but maybe sometimes it only comes to the fore in pregnancy of having a sense something's wrong or something's right and they need to be listened to and i found certainly that my little moments of interactions in the hospital my experience was was completely undervalued there was no person who was listening to my experience and going even to the point of me knowing the day that i conceived there was only one day in the month that i could have conceived mm -hmm. and the machine said you conceived on this date and I'm telling them I didn't have sex then. I, I but it can't conceive, it's not possible. And they're like, no, no, your baby's gonna be born X date. So I got a, a due date that was two weeks earlier than I knew was my actual due date. Mm -hmm. And as a result, my baby was really overdue and then I was pressured and they wanted to induce mm -hmm. me and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. When I knew in my body and in my dates that that just wasn't the case, he had another two weeks and mm -hmm. he was fine. And so if you're looking at this endemic problem 
of power against in the system from the very beginning, how can we expect the women within the system to be able to have autonomy, make good choices, trust their bodies and advocate for themselves when they're put in the position of your doctor knows best? I think I think that's a really, really important question that you raised and um, questioning the woman's understanding of what is happening in her body um, does happen very often. And it sort of links in with what we were talking about, um, about your body and trusting your body and understanding what is happening in your body, um, because if if you're sort of trying to catch up and and develop an understanding of what is happening and a confidence in your own body and understanding what is happening and then you get told by the professionals that oh you're you're actually not in labor or oh that's not actually a contraction or that can't be that painful you can't be in pain i can see it on the monitor that it's very mild um that takes away a lot of power but I think it's also dangerous to sort of paint the, the system as the enemy in a sense that when, as a doula, when I, um, when I prepare with a couple or with a mother, um, I do make a point of saying that they want the same as you do. Um, they just come in from a different angle. So the goal is the same and they want to look after you. And um, they went into that profession because they want to care for women and they want the best outcomes. Um, it's just that the protocols and, and everything that is happening in the system doesn't quite allow them to. So, so there's a part where you have to be really strong and that's why information and evidence and understanding what, what there's out there and what can happen and where your sort of capability is to um, influence situations is really important. So it's, it's the emotional preparation for, for sort of pregnancy and labor and childbirth and the postpartum and then the informational and then the physical. So there's all these changes and all these parts of it um, that need to be given attention. And, um, and I think maybe changing the system is, is a whole lot to ask, but, um, but you, can, you can do things bit by bit. And it's the baby steps as well with when you're saying, how do you go from this to that? And how do you implement changes? And how do you work with the armor and the vulnerability part? Um, it also, it always just has to be like baby steps and little changes and gradual things. And in psychotherapy as well, we say that um, you can, you're not really in danger of just like opening a big can of worms and then what are you going to do with it because you can only access as much as you can deal with there are those um defenses and there there are those mechanisms in place that sort of keep you safe so sometimes maybe therapy slows down a little slows down a little bit because you have to keep yourself safe to deal with other areas of your life that need more attention. And sometimes you can go really deep because you're safe enough in your life. So it's, it's always just gradual things and, and it's, it's, it's never a massive change or, or a big sort of, um, you know, a, a huge. Evolution. It's not flicking the switch anyway, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 of, talking of huge changes <laughs> can we talk a little bit to the time in history that we are now which mm. is unique for birthing mothers it's Very. unique for all of us in all situations but there are many women that are pregnant now and that are facing a situation of even more unknowns and depending on when they're going to give birth no one knows are we going to be in a lockdown at that particular minute what are the rules are going to be in the hospital but lots of women are facing a situation where they're going into labor first time or otherwise mm -hmm. without 
the opportunity of having a birth partner or a doula beside them. What are the things that you're either hearing from people as being increased anxieties or fears or worries, or that you can anticipate being the case for people that we could just flag and talk through a little bit? Yeah, um, a lot of the times it starts antenatally where the partner isn't allowed in. And that is really difficult if a things aren't going perfectly um, and then you get news and there's no one to turn to, no one that holds your hand and um, and the support is just missing. And it is it is a family. It is always a unit. It's not just one person. It's not it doesn't just happen to the mother. Um, so it is it is really difficult when that separation happens. Um, and especially if there was trauma before or there was loss or any history of, um, of trauma, then it can be extremely difficult. And a lot of the times it's really difficult to stand up for yourself um, when it's an emotionally really loaded and intensified situation. So I think it starts antenatally and, and we really need to do everything we can to request and push for partners being allowed back. Um, that support is so needed. And then, and then during birth and labor, again, um, it, it, is, it is really difficult to stand your ground when your job should be to stay within your body. So if you have to think and you have to um, fight, then you're up here and it's a whole different, it, it kicks off a whole different set of hormones and different things are happening in your body. Um, and obviously then, then things will slow down and, and then interventions happen and, you know, so... I think it is, it is, it is an especially difficult situation now. And you know, there's all those um, petitions, and they're going around. We need to make sure that we sign them. We need to make sure that if we can talk to TDs to do that, if you can talk to your healthcare provider to do that, um, if you literally can just talk to people and be like, "This is happening nowadays," um, and although it only affects certain people it is it is sort of in everyone's interest to fix this and provide the best environment for families because it is so important if mother if the mother isn't feeling right it will be really difficult for them to care for that baby like we want a healthy family unit that starts with a ideally um a good relationship and then a healthy mother health healthy father or partners um and then and then we can work with the baby and the triad and the different children in the family and then the support system um, but we can just sort of pull out different legs and uh, disconnect certain things and then expect the system to keep working properly because it won't I think that's a really interesting point that I I actually hadn't really joined the dots up together to understand that it's hard enough, especially the first time round, to go from the life you've had before where you're two independent people together in relationship and suddenly there's a baby and you're pregnant and then you give birth and you have this baby and the, the whole dynamic of your relationship changes. And in many cases, it never quite settles back to the way it was before or lots of people have struggled trying to integrate family life and their relationship. And that's, that's a common thing that you know everybody knows, it's no shock. But I can imagine that it's even harder because oftentimes the problem is if the woman is nursing the baby, looking after the baby, and then she feels she doesn't have as much support with her partner and they also don't have that romantic connection anymore. And it's hard to bring that back in. And for the father, it's hard for them to see where their place is and exactly. where their role is and how they can mm. be involved. But if from the very first hospital appointment as the partner, be it man or woman, they're going, 
I don't get to go to the scan. I don't get to yeah. be there to support you. I don't get to be there at the birth. How are they suddenly supposed to, when the baby is handed mm. to them, suddenly go, cool, yeah, I'm now a birth partner yeah. and I am the, yeah. like, that's very hard. It's like we're severing that link at the very first moment. And where it's is the bonding? Um, and, and I hear that very often now that maybe it's not the first baby we say it is the second baby um, and mothers are saying that my partner wasn't allowed in, um, he couldn't ask questions, he wasn't as involved and as a result now I feel really lonely and my partner feels really alienated um, and I just can't imagine him being able to sort of join back and sometimes postpartum as well I hear that when partners are um they feel distant and it, it happens especially when um there's a breastfeeding mother and the baby just wants to be close and be fed all the time there's all the cluster feeding and the partner can feel left out and you know like they used to think that it is always the mother and baby dyad but now we know that it is possible to extend it to dad and have three parts of uh, have a triangle instead of just a dyad and they can participate if it comes early enough and we know that if fathers spend a lot of time with their baby and they get to do skin to skin or if they just get to hang out together even if they don't do anything they just they are close to each other um then dad's brain gets rewired as well there's all sort of changes that happens it's, it's not just the mother's brain um that gets all this plasticity and all, all different skills and focuses in the brain it's the father's dead uh, father's brain as well um all different connections and all different ha things happening in the body so then if that happens in the first few weeks we know that the relationship is more likely to last and we know that the father will be much more included um, and then the child can be can connect and bond with both caregivers just as much. Cool. Yeah. So there's never been a more important time for for that for the dad to stay in the in the in the thing right right the way up. And you as a doula probably have a singular ability to be in that conversation to encourage that type of connection as well, right? Exactly. And I try to always make a point um, of having that conversation with the couple how are you going to work for this relationship because it is very normal for all this attention to shift to baby and there's also so many skills to pick up and so many things to learn and you need to get to know your baby and you have to settle into your new role and figure out a whole different lifestyle and sort of routine for yourself um, and it's really easy to forget that there is a relationship and relationships need work and if there's no attention and you're not feeding the relationship then it it, it won't quite have the same kind of strength so you want to strengthen that bond and a lot of the times I'm like okay so what what are you going to do what are the things that you used to enjoy what can we save what can we preserve and how are you going to nurture the relationship um and what plans do you have and sort of to maybe maybe to find certain times um if say every second Sunday every second and fourth Sunday or every Wednesday evening we're going to ask the grandparents to help out and all we're going to do, we're not going anywhere. A lot of mothers find it difficult to leave their babies with someone. Maybe it's literally just that someone made dinner for you or you got takeaway and you sit down um, and you can just chat and someone else is minding maybe. So you're not kind of like looking over and being like, is she okay? Is everything fine? Maybe she needs a feed or oh, that, that noise is familiar. You can just sit down and look into each other's eyes and see each other again, you know? And it's not just like, hey mom, hey dad. It's like, hey you, my love, the person that I 
chose to embark this journey with. So it is it is so important. But now, if COVID did anything good, it was that a lot of dads are at home now in home yeah. office, and and okay, they might be upstairs, they might be working away, but they do come downstairs to make a cup of tea, and they hold baby, and mom can have a shower, or they can just chat, they can just give you a hug, they can just mind baby for a while, or loads of meetings um where daddies are there baby in the sling and they're clicking away and they're chatting it's like oh by the way i have my baby here with me <laughs> and then and then i hear that oh other people are having their babies with them so um yeah i can, I can just take baby now and you know you just you just enjoy that cup of tea there <laughs> and they take right. time being a dad and being yeah. and it's now the perception is changing like participating in family life is yeah. becoming Sorry, like everything in life, it's like opportunity versus obligation is so often the way, isn't it? Giving them the chance to see like, this is your your moment where you can, if you want to, buy in. And nearly everybody wants those opportunities. It's just that they feel like they're being beaten over the head to, to come along on the ride. That's when things tend not to go so well. Eh? Yeah, I think it's such a nice thing. It's really nice to hear that there is an opportunity, that there's a service there in the postpartum to to, to support the relationship and nurture the relationship because I actually haven't heard that said before mm. from a postpartum doula oh, cool. and I think that that's so key I and mean, I know from my own personal experience it would have made a fundamental difference in the first few months and then the ongoing years that mm. followed afterwards for me and my relationship had someone taken the time to stop and go you know what you need to focus on this and you need to make it a priority and I think largely because I came from a really solid really strong relationship I took that for granted because I hadn't mm -hmm. had to work at it so much. We hadn't, we mm -hmm. had always just been really connected. It wasn't the thing where I thought, oh, we're really gonna have to focus on maintaining that connection. Mm -hmm. But actually it disappears so quickly mm -hmm. when you're never focusing on nurturing that part of it. And it would have been so nice because we had no family support. It would have been so nice to have someone coming in and actually going, by the way, here, how can we talk about this? How can we make it a priority? And how can I hold you accountable to that too? Like how can, when I come in next time go, so did you what do you that yeah. thing? Mm. And I think it's, that's a really valuable, it's almost one of the, one of the real reasons for people who are listening to go, actually, maybe I do need a postpartum doula because I think there's also that still that, still that misguided notion of like, I'll be fine postmortem. People have been doing it for centuries. I should just be grand to get on with it. And I'm always saying, please, instead of spending your money on a really expensive buggy, spend it on a postnatal doula. Like it's going to serve you so much better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really key for people to hear that because if anything that's going to make people buy in, it's going, I know I need to save my relationship. I know mm -hmm. I need to feed it because that's the thing that's the fundamental linchpin mm -hmm. of my family's health and happiness going. Yeah, through. happiness is the big thing as well because you all should be searching for that. Like, I mean, what is the point of the buggy? The buggy makes you mildly happy until they grow out of it three months later and you give it to somebody else. Whereas you've joined, you've chosen a partner for life, hopefully, whatever. But like, they are the thing that's going to fuel the two-way street that gives you all joy. Like that's what you got romantically involved in. That's why the baby came along in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's important. Like there is a reason why most divorces or breakups happen within the first two years after baby is mm -hmm. born. There's a reason for that. And if we are aware of that, then we can make a decision to make it a priority, as you said. Um, and I think the best time to do that is antenatally, um, when you know that there is a baby coming and then you can still make plans instead of being sleep deprived and living on tea and toast and just being a bit frazzled at all times and, and having a crying baby. And then 
it's definitely not going to happen. That's not that's yeah. not the time um, to make your relationship a priority, you know. So the it's wrong formula. <laughs> <before that. laughs> yeah, I heard I heard it said that what are, uh, there was a forum online of people saying what are the most important questions that you need to discuss with your partner when you're pregnant, and people's answers were like. You know what cut are we getting what bug are we getting where is the nursery going to be all of these questions and then the person was going no the questions need to be you know what are our roles in this relationship going to be how do you see yourself parenting when we have an argument how will we solve that what kind of a parent do you want to be how are we going to discipline our child and those conversations need to be had at a time where it's not fought because it hasn't just happened. It's much harder to have that conversation when you've just had an argument with your child and your partner about the way you both parented that child. Then it's got all this heightened yeah. energy. Whereas if you've already gone, hang on, we agreed that what we both wanted was this yeah. and one of us hasn't stuck to that code, it's much easier to have that yeah. nuanced conversation in a way that's gentle and curious rather than accusatory. It's like the family needs a mission statement. Like every business is taught to have a mission statement. Yeah. The family needs that moment as well, doesn't it? It's something to always have like, okay, well, this is the grounding mm -hmm. foundation on which we built this thing mm -hmm. and does 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 whatever conversation we're having now, what decision we're making now, does it serve that yeah. purpose? And you know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to stick to it necessarily. So it always should be flexible. So mm. you can have that conversation again and again and again, but it's good to have a starting point, something that we yeah. can build on, something that we can change. And if you want to scrap it and go for something else, as long as we agree on it, it's completely fine. And you will want to do that because you learn new things and, mm. and you will get to know your baby and children are different. Um, they're not like what you expect them to be. They have their own little personalities and your life will change in ways that you didn't expect it to so it's it's important to a have a have a starting point and b to be okay with changing it yeah 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 cool. really where if people are listening to the podcast and they're like she's great yeah. <laughs> i want her to be my doula how do they get in touch with you what's the best place do you have a website or a facebook or what um probably via email would be best um and then i do have a facebook um page as well so i might just send it out and you can put it in the description cool perfect we'll do that. we will do that lily mm -hmm. thank you so much for chatting with us it's been thank great. you for having me you're, you're wise beyond your 30 years produce <laughs> <laughs> we were looking at the start and we were like she's got all these qualifications but she can't even have time just to qualify theme. or practice <laughs> So fair juice, it's great. You've, you've some re really given us some major insight, lots of food for thought. So yeah, thank, lots thank of stuff you. that I've never heard or thought of or had spoken of. And mm. I, I really, it's so exciting for me that this is going to be a resource for people to come and look at and to reach out for and have those things sparked in their head while mm. they're still pregnant. Mm. So um, hopefully loads of people will listen. Yeah. Share. Also, I just wanted to point out that the Doula Association of Ireland do um, these free consultations where you can just book a 30 minute consultation with a doula. Oh. So if you have any questions, say about is home birth for me or how do I go about getting this or that or um, just just figuring things out or my previous birth wasn't the way I wanted it to go to and whatever. Um, you can just book a consultation and just talk to someone who might have the resources or might have a better idea of where you can turn to. So it's a really good opportunity for parents um, to to just talk to someone and um, and get get a bit of support or help or direction if they have questions. Mm, great thank you so much yeah amazing all right that's it i guess i suppose the, the last thing just to say thank you so much to our sponsors uh to newsest our fantastic nutritional partners and um, to 
Clearlight, the fantastic builders of my infrared sauna. Let them build one for you. We will get we'll get you a discount. Come along and find our discount codes. Um, you can find them online. Find them on our through our Instagram. DM us if you want more details. I've been uh, giving people testing tasters through our stories of, of, of what it's like to have them. They're they're really they're a major linchpin to my own personal health. Um, and also to Swivel, to the fantastic people who built the little robot that we're filming on now. Um, and thank you so much to you, last Lily. And uh, it's been it's been really fantastic. And I hope to chat to you soon again. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye.